You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Awesome. Well, it is great to have you with me today. How are you doing, my friend? Dude, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I'm a I new mean, fan of your pad- your podcast. I'm like embarrassed I didn't know about it. <laughs> There's no need. No, but then to be embarrassed. I'm embarrassed because it is so up my alley. It's not even funny. Yeah. And you have gained not just one listener, but I'm like one of those people if I really love something. You're a teller. I'm a teller. <laughs> that's great news. Yes. That's like what got me in the most trouble as a kid. So it's going to be an asset to you. It's going to be an asset to you and your podcast. I'm so grateful for that. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, it's great. Uh, we obviously had a great conversation last night. Just met yesterday mm-hmm. here at the Napa conference. Yes. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to hear more about your story. I feel like I didn't get much of your like kind of personal background story, mm. which we typically like to start with. Um, and so, yeah, we'd love to just kind of open up with you know, who you are and uh, what you do. But yeah, take us take us back to the early days. Yeah, so I am from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, big Italian family there. And um, really was always like a super passionate kid. And I was always drawn to music from when I was really little. Mm. Um, we also were like a big sports family. And so we kind of like, I did both of those things. And then there came this time where I really was like, gosh, I wonder if I could do this for like my career. Like, I wonder if that's something I could actually do. The athlete side? No, no, music. <laughs> no, WNBA I'm 5'3". Player? I mean, like there's an occasional volleyball player that's like, no, not 5'3". Um, so I'm like the Muggsy Bogues of like volleyball. Right. Anyways, so, basketball. exactly. So I, um, I started getting way more serious about music when I was in high school and loved it so much. And I am so uh, grateful, aside from my faith, I really credit my parents to their encouragement because I know a lot of people that love the arts and they're, um, you know, there's a lot of fear that you won't be able to find a real career or a livelihood um, if you study the arts and you want to pursue a career in it. Um, but speaking of excellence, my parents um, really, and my dad in particular, he always was someone He's not an artist, so he didn't really get it in the sense that he understood where I was coming from. But he he raised us, my both of my parents did, with this understanding that like whatever it is that you're going to do, um, do it with excellence. Because you know, yeah, the odds might be more slim that you could find a, a livelihood or could create a life with this thing that you love. Mm-hmm. Um, but in society, there's usually room for people that are really excellent at what they do. So whatever it is, 
do like do it do it really do it you know yeah um so i was really grateful for that because i i had seen some of my other kind of art, artist friends that didn't have that kind of support they didn't have that kind of belief maybe from their parents and i really did so i went through the dual admissions process for college and you have to get in with your academics but then you also have to get in with your talent so um you had to audition so i did that um which was you know both funny and hard um, yeah. to do all that travel around did you have to play an instrument and sing or no just sing just sing yeah, just saying. So I got in uh, to this contemporary music school in Nashville called Belmont University mm. um, and started studying music. And then on a whim, truly, and I look back and it's the hand of, hand of God. I mean, it's providence, no doubt. But I saw this sign out of nowhere. Um, after staying up all night, I tried to stay. Somebody gave me this advice. If you can't stay awake, you're so tired. Better than caffeine is oxygen. Go work out. Like your body oh, will wake yeah. up. So I went to the gym after staying all night and I saw this like sign for VeggieTales auditions. Are you serious? Dead serious. Um, and I'm from a big family, so I was like, VeggieTales? Like, we know what VeggieTales is. Like, yeah. what is that? One of nine, correct? Yes, one yeah. of nine. I'm like, oh, what are they auditioning for? It was like it was from a movie. I walk into the ballroom where they were holding these auditions. They're taking down the sign. Like, the auditions were over. Um, and I'm like, you got... So what what are you guys doing in here? You know, they're like, oh, we're actually casting for a hundred show national tour. Wow. Um, and I'm like, well, do you guys have time for one more? And they were like, oh, you know what, honey? Our choreographer went home, but sure. And so I ended up auditioning and I, I got cast as a lead in that show. And really? So, yeah. And that was the start. So it was like a Broadway? It was not like Broadway. A, it but was, it was like a theater yes. VeggieTales. Yeah, yeah. Imagine taking like kids. Excuse to, like, my ignorance. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Do you not <laughs> know children's entertainment, Nathan? Theater Jeez. with Broadway, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, like uh, Kleenex, was, you know? With <laughs> or like Xerox. It's like the, <laughs> Picture the like a really brand. large cucumber and tomato yeah. and then like their best friend, which was me. Um, oh, and so you got to play a human. I was a human. Wow, what a, what a gift. It was a I gift. I think you would have made a great tomato. So I appreciate why. that so much. <laughs> yeah. That's among the best compliments I've Next received. Time. Thank you so yeah. much. Um, I kind of wish yeah, you had gotten the second role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was the start of my music career. Wow. And so that was a really amazing first taste at the industry. Yeah. Um, and I was 18. Um, and then I guess just where to bring you up to speed to where I am now, that was, I'm um, 34 now. Um, and in between those two periods of time, I, I felt really called away from that industry after that tour was done. And that was really mm. an unreasonable thing. Like on paper, it made no sense, but sometimes in your life you have these moments that defy what makes the most reasonable sense. And I just knew that I knew that I knew that God was asking me to surrender it and transfer away from that world. Um, to this day, I think it was really probably to like save my soul, save me. I was into my faith at that time and everything, but I just don't think I had the strength to pursue it um, in the way that would keep me on the straight and narrow in that sense, you know? Yeah. And uh, transferred to Franciscan University, finished my degree in business and theology. And that's when I started writing music. So that's when I kind of shifted from performance to worship. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Amazing. That's great. So thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I was just thinking when you said Franciscan, do you know Taylor Tripodi? Yes. Yeah. Or that's not her name anymore. Yes. I don't know her married name. Love Taylor. Yeah. If only she had energy though. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's very dull. So dull. No personality. (laughs) Taylor, I hope you're listening. Yeah. You guys are are similar (laughs) in that, I would say. Uh, But she, we actually did one of our holy happy hours. It's like an early thing that we did with Seeking Mm. Excellence. Um, she was one of our guests for that. Her and Father Leo Padalinghung. 
And so both of them were Epic. crazy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so it Whoa. Was, it was something. Dang. Yeah. So that That's was amazing. a fun time. But yeah, That's so that, really that just made me think of that because we were talking about you being the first musician, which is still true, I think, on the podcast. But ah, um, that's really fun cool. That, yeah, she did some stuff with us back in the day. That is awesome. Yeah. Taylor's yeah. very talented. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. And so tell us a little bit about uh, the Vigil Project now and yes. when that started. Yeah. So the Vigil Project started uh, six years ago um, in 2016. I was working, um, doing a couple of different things as a contractor, but I was very much traveling with music too. So I had a couple skill sets that like I was self-employed and really loved it, was able to travel with music, I would say part-time at that point um, in the church and had released uh, two projects myself. Um, and then I met some other Catholic musicians in New Orleans where I was living at the time. and they had such a similar worldview to me when it came to beauty within the church, being a creative within the church, music and worship, both in and out of the liturgy within the church. Like it was so many things that were congruent. Mm -hmm. And there was sort of this kind of tongue in cheek moment when we met where it was like, oh, maybe we should collaborate on something sometime. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and little did I know that we absolutely would collaborate on something, and we we did. I ended up being home that Christmas. That was late 2015 that we met. Home for Christmas. Uh, I was telling you last, this mm -hmm. last night. Um, and this is the impact of excellence, I think, is when you come into contact with it, like it kind of sticks with you sometimes. You know, when you see something that you're like, whoa, that that's that's really amazing. Um, and it's moving. And I, Pentatonix, the acapella group, had just released their Christmas album. And I noticed an abnormal, like abnormal amount of views on all these videos. It was like not just one video. Many of their videos had like 70 million, 68 million views. And then I found that I kept rewatching them. And I'm like, what have these guys tapped into here? Like something about what they've done with this live music, like this video, the music, it was different. It was captivating. Mm -hmm. And I just, it was like a what if moment where I was like, okay, what if we could take the elements of this that are capturing me and clearly many other people? And what if instead of making it a performance, we could make it a prayer? And what if we wrote music for the Catholic church you know, we have these beautiful liturgical seasons we can enter into. Like, what if we, what if we wrote music for people to pray with? Yeah. Um, and that's what we did. So it was kind of like ignorance on fire is probably the best way for me to describe it. It was just a <laughs> wild ride. Yeah. Um, just kind of let loose. Completely. And, and the fruit we were seeing in the process was far more than I could have done, like on my best day. And that's when you know that like God's hand is in it because mm -hmm. you're like, oh, there's no way I could do this. We recorded it, we released it, and within 30 days, it was listened to in like over 100 countries, which is crazy. Wow. And that was the start of the Vigil Project. And now you're famous. No. <laughs> what a low bar for famous. Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> well, you're in Hallow. So, no. Yeah. That's true. Oh, yeah. is that the bar? Okay, then yes. The bar. We're very yeah. famous then. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Mm. That's awesome, though. But what's cool about it, you were telling me more about this last night, so I'd love to hear you expand on uh, the fact that it's not just a band, but a ministry. Yes. And so talk about what kind of that organizational structure looks like or, yeah. you know, how you're here mm -hmm. while your band is playing at the Hallow Summit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and we're so grateful to Hallow for that. We're really honored to be at that, that first summit they're having yeah. in DC. Um, when we released that first project, um, and I mean, to the point that it was just funny, we were like, okay, like week, a week before, you know, we're like, we need a name, like we need a name if we're going to be putting this out, you know, mm -hmm. like is the URL taken, take like, go look, go look, you know? Yeah. And we were really praying about what to call this thing. We didn't know it would be a ministry, a full ministry at the time, but what kept coming to us was 
to keep watch and pray that phrase keep watch and pray um and so as we sat with that it was like that's pretty much like holding a vigil that's what we're invited into when we pray and we hold a vigil is you know we're, we're staying we're keeping watch and then we realized isn't that what all of humanity is doing right now it, right now waiting for the, the second coming of the lord like we are in constant vigil as humans like we should be keeping watch and praying pray without ceasing as saint paul says so we were like how about the vigil project okay great mm. so like that became our name and when we released that first project we got really just a, a onslaught of messages and emails which was so humbling like i could not I mean, there's a woman in a war zone in Afghanistan that wrote us like the inter- It's so hopeful when the internet's used for something good because there's so yeah. much crap out there that you're like, this yeah. is so hopeful. It could be negative every now and then. Yeah, every now and again, you yeah. know, there's stuff on the line that's like not great. <laughs> so when it's like really good, you're like, praise God, that was used for something good. And the two main things that people were writing to us uh, to ask us was one, um, would you guys, so this is our first project was for Lent and Easter. And they said, would you guys consider doing this kind of music, doing this kind of thing again for the other liturgical seasons like yeah. Advent and Christmas and the others? And then the second one was, um, what if you guys came to our parish and brought these songs and like led us in prayer, in worship? Um, and that was the start of our first tour. And then that was the start of the rest of our um our music, our eight albums now, <laughs> um, it, it, massive fan base and fame. No, you know? not at all. Yeah. Um, but you now my microphone? it's been, I, I think I told you last night, I only signed apparel, Nathan. Oh, so, right. you know, we'll see. Yeah. I gotta um, get a hat. But 12 tours later, can, I can't even believe it. Like it's just, yeah, God is amazing. So like what his, year did it start? 2016. 2016. Wow. I you mean, 12 tours in six years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, God's God's dreams, and this isn't like in a cheesy way, like his dreams is so much bigger than, his <laughs> dreams are so much bigger for us than ourselves. <laughs> it is. Like, it truly, truly is. So yeah. often, I think, you know, there's, there's so much more. Um, if we would kind of step out, if we would take those what-if moments and, and obviously discern them well, but then I think doing that next right thing, taking that next step, I mean, God can just breathe life into it and create something beyond what we could ever imagine. Right. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. And so I know last night we talked about this. I told you, I was like, I don't know how to say this to you, but I'm surprised you're not liberal. And (laughs) (laughs) you were not super offended by that because I think you understand where the question comes from. That's right. So you didn't hate me afterward. No. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I do think that's an interesting thing. And Mm so obviously uh, we talked about Audrey Assad. Yeah. Is that the right? That's the right name. Yeah, Audrey. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know if you ever met her, if you did anything with her, but her story I thought was really interesting because I was kind of in a place in my life when all that kind of happened. I think it was like a year or two years ago, mm-hmm. where I was just kind of like starting to understand and meet more people who were doing Catholic speaking, doing Catholic music, yeah. leading praise and worship, and things like that. And um, I think you started to see, or I started to like understand or witness like the liberal bend of a lot of people who do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of like a Matt Maher, like endorsing Joe Biden in the last election. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I, uh, you know, I don't know Ike Dolo, but like I've <laughs> followed him on Instagram and like, I know he was like, I listened to a podcast with him and a friend of mine, actually, um, Adrian, and, uh, they were talking about like BLM and racism and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And it was I would love to discuss it with them because I have mm-hmm. some strong opinions on those things. And mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some places where we disagree. Mm-hmm. We don't see things eye to mm-hmm. eye. Uh, but yeah, what's that like for you? I guess like what has kept you, I, I don't always like the term conservative because I think yeah. that it's mainly Catholic, but like what, why do you think it is that, you think it's just like the creative 
aspect of it that gets mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of drawn to progressivism or That's liberal things? Or I would say, first of all, truly, but for the grace of God, go I. Um, because I think there's, um, you know, there. The devil's very clever. Um, he's very clever, and I think that in a lot of, uh, especially the things, particularly within Catholic social teaching, of late in these last five years, probably especially, but many others even before that, I think there's elements of some of these movements that are very good. There's elements of faith. There's elements yeah. of truth. There's elements of goodness, um, and. Those elements, I think, some people that are very good people see those those strings of truth, mm-hmm. right? And they hold on to it, and maybe there's weeds with wheat, and maybe there's there's not entire truths there. Yeah, and that's where we, that's where it's dangerous, right? Yeah, and he's the great deceiver, and so and and not to, and I'm sure in my own walk in my own life, there's been things that I've misunderstood. And I've like taken the weeds with the wheat, not realizing it. Um, but it came from a good place. It came from a good intention. Yeah. And so um, that's not to dance around it, but I've thought a lot about this topic myself because I do think within the arts in general, because I came from like the performance world before I came into this space. Um, absolutely, there's a lot of veggie tales. Well, veggie tales is a you know. <laughs> It's a pretty hardcore place, Nathan. As agree. you can imagine, it's yeah. very cutthroat. No. Gangsta, yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing: like you, it, actually, I, I joke about it, but but it was very, you know, there was a completely secular production company that was running that. Oh, Veggie Tales. Oh, it was yeah. before they went bankrupt, so Big Idea still owned it back then. And um, I was really amazed with some of the conversations I had uh, wow. back then, and it was really eye-opening to some of the things you're saying. Like, whoa, uh, I kind of assumed there would be maybe a similar value system where we would see things eye to eye yeah, some christianity at least yeah you would think yeah um but i you know i think i very quickly discovered that my background is not the same as other people's and yeah. i think we kind of bring with us the good the bad and the ugly we bring with us sort of our um you know bias is the wrong word but just our lived experience that kind of forms our worldview or forms kind of our belief system and um i think sometimes you see people and it's just flat out wrong and I would never shy away from saying there's truth and there's non-truth there's absolutes right right but I think we're I have seen really good people and we I think we really saw this happen with the 2020 election I think it got heated and ugly in a bloodbath because I think there was things that were there were like strings of truth and like Satan can't create but he can take and twist and um, he loves wreaking havoc. He loves chaos. He loves all those things. So he'd love to see us pitted against each other um, instead of uh, one dialoguing and two finding like the actual like truth that we're both. I think the the good people, the good hearted people, the truth that we're actually both trying to pursue, even though maybe one of us or both of us is off kilter. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a very uh, especially the first part there. I think it's very compassionate and loving, hmm. which. I think, unfortunately, to some people, especially amongst conservatives sometimes, I think it is seen as uh, emotional or wishy-washy, mm-hmm. but, but that's I think the thing. Compassionate, he- compassionate and love are, are good things. Well, and who <laughs> was know? it that was coined, yeah. and I'm, I wish I could say the source, you may know it, is that you, um, I would never, uh, what is it, you can't have justice without mercy, and you can't have mercy without justice. Yeah. And so 
compassion, absolutely. I think that but was Tupac. Was it Tupac? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Or Jay Z. But <laughs> I, but I do. Actually, that's probably too soon to even make that joke. But I think, um, <laughs> I think that you know, there's, and this is where I think it becomes, um, you know, it's heartbreaking. But I think it is sometimes what it is is that we can't shy away from the truth. We can't not speak up. We can't say, oh, but you know, because then we ra- we wade into the waters of relativism very quickly. Like, oh, what's your truth is your, no, there is a truth, right? There's one absolute. Um, but I think that there's, um, I don't use gray area in like, you know, the wrong sense. What I mean is that I think there's a lot of things that, um, are misunderstood. Like I think that yeah. we misunderstand each other. Like let me give you a this is a bad example, but I have gone to um many different churches over the years. The people have asked me to sing for their weddings. Now I cantered at a very conservative uh parish in Cincinnati, um, which is still my parish. I love it. Um for over ten years. And it was I was a cantor, it was just me and the organ for ten years and that was my that's really where I started to sing really consistently. Wow. Um and loved it. And so I went to many parishes around Cincinnati and then the country when my college friends started getting married and I would go sing their weddings. There is so often I was not met with um, an assumption that A, I was practicing or B, that I would be respectful. There was an immediate sort of, a lot of the time, uh, like kind of like uh, defense, very defensive some of them did not want, didn't, some parishes actually didn't want any outside singers. It didn't matter who you were. Wow. Um, and, and initially I was really offended by that. Like I took it personally, but I think the order I've gotten, I realized these guys see something beautiful to protect. They see something beautiful to protect and they've seen a lot of abuse. People come in and sing Lord knows what at these weddings. It's so mm-hmm. ridiculously inappropriate for the liturgy, right? Like, yeah. It's offensive, and so the, so then they're like, "Enough's enough. No one's coming in." But then it's kind of like, you you. So I guess what I'm saying is like I've shifted to the made my heart is softened in compassion. Where at one point in time I think I would be like really offended by that, and I'm not saying I think that they have some justification for the way that they feel. Um, so that's like an imperfect analogy to say that. I am not saying that I don't staunchly disagree with some other artists that have these beliefs out there because I do. And I would tell them that to their face because I respect them enough to tell them that. But I also, both and the church, at at so much brilliance in that and wisdom, Mm -hmm. at the same time I would also say, let me just point out the things that I think you're saying that are the elements of truth that I also believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think that's actually the start of like possibly a a conversation. (laughs) Possibly. Not always, but possibly. Absolutely. That's really interesting. I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. And yeah, I think it's so important for us to recognize it's it's hard to imagine sometimes, I think when you disagree with people on such like important topics, it it can be so difficult to imagine that their heart could be in the right place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because sometimes it's not, right? Yeah, because sometimes it's not. Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's such a tricky thing. But I love that with, with talking about, you know, people being mad at you coming to churches for weddings. Yeah. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on, uh, just like liturgical music kind of in general. Mm -hmm. So what are your opinions? Obviously you said you sang with the organ for a while. Mm -hmm. Like, are you a, like, where do you kind of draw the line on what you think might be like liturgical abuse? Like, are you a 
uh, you know, handbell choir kind of girl, or <laughs> <laughs> you leaning more in the, like, which I've seen. What would you do if I was like, I've, I'm really into liturgical dancing? What would you? <laughs> hey, this is a safe no. place for you um, to share. No, no. Your so this is a great, this is a great question, and I feel like um, with my the water glass. Uh, I would. <laughs> you know? Sandra Bullocking that yeah, for my exactly. congeniality people. Um, no, I. I feel like I've learned so much about the great treasury that the church has for us on this journey. Like I never thought I'd be the director of a musical nonprofit in the church. I didn't necessarily have the credentials for that. Mm -hmm. um, but I very much do believe that God has called me for this time in the church um, to promulgate beauty and excellent excellence within the church, mm -hmm. um, kind of reclaim that, which was once very much hers and rightfully the church's because everything excellent God is deserving of. And so music in the church, we've seen decline in excellence a lot really since the reformation, these last several hundred years. And I'm seeing, it's not just us, I'm seeing so many different people, different groups that are, that are rising. So I very much believe that it is like waking a sleeping giant in the best way possible. Um, but it's I, so bad. It yeah. In many places. Yes, it is. It is. Like abysmal. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most embarrassing things when you take somebody to mass. Mm -hmm. You know? And especially when you like when we're the church that and like we claim and we do have truth, beauty, and goodness. But when you claim that and then you take people to these hideous churches and then they hear the music and they're just like, What is beautiful about any of this? Mm-hmm. You know? know, and then like the mass is like very poorly done. Yeah, like, breaks your heart. Doesn't yeah, it? just like the book is just like utterly not followed, and yep. it's just like abysmal. When I think, I mean, I and really, the truth is watered down. Like it's just like what? I mean, what even, is this place? Even the, <laughs> yes, but even like first of all, the documents that are out there that are so beautiful to read and so beautiful to understand. A lot of times they're ex excerpted out. Like in my experience, some people mm. will pull one or two sentences. My encouragement would be go read the entire document, go read the entire document, see what the church actually says about liturgy, uh, about devotion. Cause those are two very different spaces, devotional uh, prayer, personal prayer and liturgy. Um, go read the catechism. The catechism is, I mean, it has an incredible, uh, very, a lot of beautiful distinctions about the different, like there's different moments of worship, right? Um, and I would say, if you were to ask me this question six years ago, I might give you a different answer. Um, but I feel like God has really allowed me and humbled me to recognize like the church has norms. Uh, there is a hierarchy to um, what is, there, there's prescriptions for the liturgy for a reason. Um, there's things that you yeah. should or should not play. There's things you should and should not sing. There's styles you should and should not use. Um, where I think, and, and this is of course where we wade into the waters of liturgy wars, right? Where like people are so, uh, it's very high, uh, highly charged. And I would bring it back to that example of the choir directors that were upset with some stranger coming in. Yeah. Is I think we have assumptions um, and that, that makes it so that it's kind of like me versus you. Um, and I think that a lot of it, not all of it, but I think a lot of it does come from people desiring to worship. It's just that I think sometimes we're off base with like, it's actually not about us. It's about the Lord. It's about like the liturgy is the source and summit. And that's something right. that we should all really bend to um, with what the church and her wisdom asks us to do. Yeah, I love it. I think that's great. What about... Um uh, practically, like what do yeah. you, what do you, uh, throw out? Well, on a practical level, I had a really wonderful conversation with a priest that we do some work with and, 
um, I think he would say what I what he would say a lot more eloquently than I just said. But he also, and also I should say, he has a really pastoral heart, like really pastoral heart. And I think sometimes people need, communities need, especially communities that have never been exposed to some of these things like chant or uh, other liturgical norms or the antiphons or any of these things. If you don't have exposure and you just don't know, it's really hard for that pendulum to swing really quickly. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, hey, get on board, let's go. Whereas I think... um, I think sometimes we need a little hand-holding, not watering it down. This is what we're going for. Let's maybe take at least one step in that direction as a community. Let's take yeah. another step in that direction as a community. And, and if that's not your preference, let's talk about where your preference can really rightfully be in your life of faith. Like, let's talk about how you can have, let's have a, a you know, other music here on a Thursday night that's different than yeah. maybe what we play in the liturgy. And I think... Um, I'm not, I'm not a, obviously not a priest. I don't have like that responsibility. <laughs> I cannot imagine what it's like to lead a flock like that. But I think, you know, it can be um, what I've seen with some communities is like it, it's gradual. Where I see the, a lot of tension and friction um, is when, uh, you know, and, and, and I don't have the answer. We're broken people, right? But when it's very um, kind of quick and people don't realize it's coming and they're not they don't feel ready for it for it if someone yeah. comes in and shifts it you, and you know just throw out the handbells yes yeah that's hard it is hard yeah. it is really hard and and i want to come back to this too because this just came to me with what you're saying about um people with different beliefs and things especially if they're just kind of immoral you know if they're not, their belief systems or different things are just right straight up against the church not everybody's gonna like you this side of heaven like that's a really hard lesson i've had to learn yeah not everybody's going to like you. And um, that's not to say you don't have a compassionate heart. That's not to say you don't find common ground. That's not to say that you don't go for the dialogue because all those things you should. And we are promised, not suggested, not a maybe. The Lord promises us that we will be persecuted for his name. Like we're going to have, it's hard to hold the line. It's hard. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's absolutely guaranteed. Yes. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, where I often will draw the line, I don't know if drawing any lines right, and I don't draw any lines because I just go to mass. I don't know what the hell, I don't know why I said it like that. Yeah. But <laughs> I have literally no influence over anything. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm weird. But I think what I don't like in mass, mm-hmm. personally, is uh, guitars. I'm not a big drum guy. Um, and one of my kind of logic and reasoning for it is that I think one of the things... I also don't really like the organ, so I'm kind of weird in that. But I don't. It's not that I don't think the organ should be a mass. I just don't like it as much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just don't like the sound of the mm-hmm. organ. I'm a big like our parish. One, my favorite days, and this is 90% of the time, is piano and violin. Mm-hmm. Like my absolute That's my jam. Favorite too. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I like that so much, and why I can be anti-guitar and anti uh, like oh, I'm. I'm less anti-guitar than I am anti-drums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, totally. I think the more more kind of like full bandish it gets. The reason why is because I think that one of the beautiful things and my understanding of why it's beautiful and important to use the Latin in some aspect of the mass or mm-hmm. why we use ancient Greek, right? Mm-hmm. Is because it allows you to really recognize or the incense and um, the priest vestments obviously have different things, but like all of this kind of like lets you know that this is not like everything else you do. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we don't just like knock out Latin in like everyday life or totally. use Greek. And I think that's 
what's great about some of the like more classical instruments like a piano or a violin is that for most of us, I think you can listen to those things obviously outside, but mm-hmm. it's not the same music that I'm listening to with uh, Luke Combs and you know like totally. <laughs> other th- music that I'm listening to or yeah. that you like encounter on the radio. Yeah. You have these instruments and these sounds that are different and unique, and that's why I think the organ is good because it does kind of have that exclusivity to be like, oh, I'm like elsewhere, like yeah. I am not. Yeah, and I, I do think it's, so one is the instrumentation question, two is how you're playing the instrument. Yeah, Those are two really important things. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I'm in the middle, our ministry is in the middle of producing an eight-part music series. Uh, it's an it's a eight-part documentary series called Meaning of Music, and it's exploring music in the life of faith. And it's wow. literally brought us all over the world, talking to people from uh, experts in Gregorian chant in Salem, France, where I just was, all the way to Abbey Road Studios in London and everything in between. Like, what is the gift of music from God to man? How can we come to know him more through it? And I'll tell you what was one of the really moving things was we were in Salem. And if you don't know anything about the monks in Salem, they are worth looking up. It's amazing. They, it's all of their liturgies are in Latin. They are experts on Gregorian chant, the history, the science, even behind chant and how it works. So it was a privilege. uh, I didn't know there was chant science. And yeah, there's like, there's like science to it. There's like, that's wild. It's like, there's a. God is so genius, you know, like it's amazing He's how all these are very integrated. Yeah. Um, so that was really, really neat to hear about that. That's so cool. And I wasn't allowed into the like monastery, monastery, but my colleague Greg was. Um, because but of I, your gender. I got to, I, can you, can you these believe it? I know. And I tried like, I'm identifying today as, I'm just kidding. Um, no, <laughs> I'm Andrew. No, so too, again, too soon. But my, um, but so I went. I'm Andre. And I went, <laughs> actually, in, in Italy, they're like, Andrea, that is a man. Like everyone, really? Andrea in Italian is. My name means manly, but we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I went from this monastery in Salem, which these monks were incredible and beautiful and humble and gifted. Like the music was stunning. Um, we, I also had, and again, I would say it was an incredible privilege. We went from there to uh, a monastery in, in Africa um, in a city called Dakar. Uh, and these monks were, they were established basically by the, the Salem monks. These guys are African though, right? Wow. And here's, what, here's the thing though, and this is what's really important, and this is what I would encourage people to go see what the church actually says about this because so often I think, you know, it's, the church actually doesn't say like, yes, the organ has prime in place, that's what people say, that you know, but the church does not say, no, nowhere will you find that it's like, you are only morally allowed to use the organ in liturgy. You're not going to read that sentence anywhere. Right. Um, what these monks did was they came in this very holy Orthodox group of monks that's in Africa, uh, West Africa, and these guys uh, at Carmusa is the name of the monastery, they chant, which is gorgeous, and they chant with this ancient African instrument called the kora, which mm-hmm. is basically a cross between like a harp and a guitar. I've never heard anything like it in my life. It is heavenly. Really? really? It is, it's like what you picture an angel playing. It's crazy beautiful. This guy that was like a huge linebacker monk was playing this tiny little, it was just the coolest thing to watch. And they were, <laughs> and they were chanting over it. The reason I tell you that is. That's crazy. There is, and I was interviewing this monk who was so incredibly holy. And I'm telling you, there's a wealth to the poverty of their community because he had something I don't have. And like the freedom in his worship, to, it's like free to worship without fear. This man it personified it. And he just said to me like, there's something about 
knowing where you come from, embracing your culture, embracing your community. And this is where God does meet us. He meets us there. Um, that is not to, and, and so in that sense, there is room for a lot of beauty within yeah. the liturgy. It do, it's not, but I say, I say very quickly, the asterisks at the bottom, like even these things fall within the norms as long as they go by the prescriptions of the church. But often I, again, I think they're absurded out and we don't actually know like the fullness of like, this is actually what the church says. Um, and I think there's been a lot of abuse and I talked to him about this too. There's been a lot, obviously post that again too, there's been a ton of abuse within the liturgy and things that have happened with the liturgy that never should have. Yeah. Um, there's also, you know, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's like, again, those strings of truth, right? Like there's some things in there that it's like, okay, well, what in here is good? Is there anything here that's good that came from this council? Like, you know, is there anything that's good? And if there is, what is it? What's holy here, truly inspired by the Holy Spirit that brings us closer to the heart of God through the source and summit moment of our faith? Um, and it's complex. I, that's a long answer, but it is really complex. It's, yeah. I, I almost wish it was more simple. Um, but I think that we are called to be like discern, discerners in, in that, if that right. makes sense. Rightful discerners. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting that you went to different countries. And my next question was around cultural stuff, because mm-hmm. I think that uh, it seems to me that sometimes culture can be an excuse to bring in some pretty wacky stuff. A hundred percent. And I think that there's, and I think that that African instrument is so interesting because Mm -hmm. that to me would be what I think would be like the hopeful ideal Mm -hmm. to say, okay, if we're like, obviously, I think you make a great point that like anything can be allowed. I think there's still value and obviously not bringing everything right into it. Um, But like, what is the piano violin version for these different cultures, Mm -hmm. you know, and not just like having... And I a mariachi know, band or, totally. or congos every weekend mm-hmm. in the mass. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. if that's what you guys listen, if that's what you listen to outside of the mass, like what are your like more, I don't know, like what's their version of a classical instrument, you know? And I would say too, I'm no expert. There's still right. so much more for me to learn. Like, yeah, I don't know I, and I want to say it. that too, for your listeners too. Like I'm not a, a liturgist. I'm learning like everyone. And I, I think when you have a heart that wants, desires to know the truth, you want to be faithful. I want to practice. I want to participate in the liturgy in the way that God's calling us to. Mm-hmm. Even if that's yielding to my preference, we live in a society of preference. It's like, oh, that's not my favorite. So I'm not going to do it. But actually what's funny, John Paul II talked about this a lot, is we think, I think as a society, it's sort of like woven into us with subcon- you know, kind of on a subconscious level sometimes, that like, oh, I need, like, I want to l- kind of love what I'm doing to participate in it type thing, or we feel like um, rules and regulations or norms are like kind of straining us yeah it couldn't be further from the truth yeah. john paul ii i'm sure as you know talks about this authentic definition of, of freedom where he says like we think freedom is doing what we want when we want how we want but the irony to that is if you live your life that way you end up so bound you end up yeah. with a lack of the freedom you first pursued so he's like actually freedom he defines is having the ability to do what we ought to do. And, yeah. and I would apply that to the, to this conversation too, like to know what we ought to do, even if it's not our preference, even if it's not my favorite, there's a freedom in that. Like we, God breathes in that. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. I think that's a Jocko Willing quote. 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, yeah JB2 is great. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's something that, you know, as I watched the uh, Mass of the Ages the other night, yeah. and I just interviewed with Dan Driver yesterday. Oh, amazing. Um, I love Dan Driver. He's, yeah, he's awesome. I beat him in poker not that long ago. I feel they need really? to go on the record and say that. So, wow. Yeah. I appreciate you, you letting us all well, know. Well, yes. Because it sounds like that was, uh, it was a, a big moment. It was like my only good moment in poker. I told Dan, I'm like, I'm really not that good. I just happened to end up with like a flush. It was awesome. Continue. That's sorry, incredible. Sorry. <laughs> I embarrassingly don't really know how to play poker. Okay. That's a fun fact about me. <laughs> Uh, which isn't that fun. So it's I guess not, it's more it's of just a fun. fact. We're it's more of an you. embarrassing fact. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I would love to be Dan Driver in poker someday. So if you could train me in your ways, yes. that would be huge. But when you watch Master of the Ages, I only saw episode two. Um, but they have some great comparisons of the music of the traditional ad mass yeah. and a lot of... Obviously, they pick the the worst Novus Ordos to show, right? Like, they're not going to show you well-done Novus Ordos. Yes. Um, which I understand because, it, like all of this like things led to that right and that's mm-hmm. what they're kind of trying to point out yeah um and i think that it is yeah just incredibly sad to see what does come when you kind of lift restrictions i've heard priests in the past mm-hmm. uh there's a priest i knew actually in cincinnati he wasn't from cincinnati but he <laughs> i remember a friend of mine told me a quote from him that he talked about how like after vatican II, it was just like no rules and how awesome it was mm-hmm. and how at the liturgical prayer he would just freestyle. He said he didn't use a book for like the Eucharistic prayers. I said liturgical prayers, the Eucharistic mm. prayers oh for like a decade, mm. 20 years, you know, like it just was, uh, yeah, 10 to 20, 25. I don't know when they like started like getting more strict, mm. but was just like freestyling. And it's like, imagine what some people said in that mm. circumstance. You know what I mean? Like yes. over the Eucharist, like for the consecration, like just literally freestyling. It's terrible to think about. It is. And yeah, you really get to see that like restrictions can be so fruitful. Mm-hmm. My family, not restrictions. I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, no, uh, like, like the rules. guidelines and, and we, like that's that. what we, they, like they make all these books. That's why they exist. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah why not use them? Yeah. And I, I just, my family's part Lebanese. And so literally last weekend I went to the Maronite uh, mass in, in Cincinnati which is beautiful. It's really beautiful. I is never it? went. Oh, I you, always wish I did. Y- you should find find a, a Maronite yeah. parish to go. What's so be- What's so moving? Um, if anyone listening does go or has has never gone, I would incur- I would totally would encourage you to go because there's this the moment that is so powerful. I mean, so obviously powerful, no matter what language it's in. But there's something about that consecration being the actual words in Aramaic that yeah. Christ Himself said. You know, um, and the reverence and the you know it's beautiful. As I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm thinking, um, so for our documentary series, there's a gentleman who's a professional concert pianist whose name is Eric Jenis. He's incredible. His entire ministry, I mean, this guy's world class. He goes into prisons and he literally exposes these guys to beauty that never see beauty. He brings in uh, him, a, vi- a cellist, um, and a professional singer. Uh, and it's, incre- it's incredible. Cello, wow. violin, singer, and Eric, yeah, and piano, and voice. And what, if you've ever seen the Shawshank Redemption, there's a moment yeah. where he risks a lot, and he plays over the loudspeaker this gorgeous classical ballad. Had no idea what this woman in Italian was singing. They had no idea. But he says, like, Morgan Freeman does the voiceover on that scene, and he says, for a moment, every man in Shawshank was free. Because, like, that's the power yeah. Beauty. So I got to go with Eric into a high maximum security prison in May. Wow. He allowed us to go in with our camera crew to capture it. And I tell you this because I really think 
We need to do ourselves the justice of exposing ourselves to beautiful things like Gregorian chant, um, yeah. to the Latin mass. That is not to say you must go to the Latin mass, but you know what? I'd encourage people to go experience it That's at least one time say, because uh, these guys would say to Eric, he told me stories of hardcore criminals only listening to rap. They've listened to rap their entire lives, some of them, in there for life, for horrible things. And they they don't want to be there, but it's like, that's the programming, is listening to some, like, white dude play classical music, like, no thank you, but they don't have, you know, they go. They're changed by an exposure to something higher. They're changed because they come into contact with something authentically beautiful, and they don't realize that's actually them coming into contact with God, who is all things authentically beautiful. And these guys' hearts are softened. Um, and so that would be my encouragement. It's a journey. There really is no arrival this side of heaven. Like, I'm still on the journey. I'm still discovering. I'm still learning. Go go expose yourself. Go, yeah. you know, go experience it. Oh, 100%. Go, you know, go pray. Go meet the Lord. It's crazy. I had a conversation with a woman here yesterday, and she had to be like 60. And she was like, yeah, I've never actually been to a traditional life mass. And I'm like, How? You know, like I often advocate against like being TLM exclusive, but I am like, I don't think it's like a sin to not go, but like, why would you not? I don't like, I literally don't understand. Like, this is the mass that so many like saints and so many Catholics for centuries attended. Like, why would you not want to have that experience? And I think, not that you're asking, but shoot, I'm on the podcast. Might as well tell you. Okay, here's what I think. No, I think part, I think a lot of 40 minutes in and you're like, may I share my opinion? I have an opinion. May I? Thank you. Um, No, The floor is yours. I really do think part of that comes from our wounds. I really do. Because I think a lot of times people, like the mass is not meant to be evangelistic. It's not. Its nature is not supposed to be evangelistic. We have... uh, Unfortunately, we try to squeeze everything into the liturgy. You know, the liturgy, as we know, like it's meant to worship. Like it's meant to give Thanksgiving, Eucharist, Thanksgiving. It's meant to give glory and honor and praise to the Lord as the highest moment of our faith. Um, What would happen, like we're going up the mountain to this source and summit moment and we got to come down the mountain. There's way more transit than there is that moment at at the top. What if we had like, really thriving prayer lives on the way up and the way down, we might not be as opposed to experiencing something there that it's like, well, I just, you know, I don't feel God at this mass or I can't pray. I don't know what they're saying, you know, things like that. Whereas it's like, I think a lot of times people actually do crave the presence of the Lord. They they crave to to feel that. Um, And I think a lot of times it's because like in that lack, there's, there's probably a, a wound or there's probably like an ache for something for him that has been unmet. Maybe that's lack of catechesis. Maybe that's lack of uh, exposure to how to pray. Maybe that's lack of understanding of how to uh, be an active Catholic member in your community. You know, there's so many, maybe it's lack of community period. Like there's yeah. so many things that can cause us to crave something. And then when you ache for something so terribly and then somebody says to you like, that ache doesn't matter. Just go to this because you're supposed to. You can see why somebody, I think, I'm just speculating, but you can see why somebody would almost like revolt against that thinking yeah. like, well, wait a minute. Like, but I, God wants a relationship with me too. And absolutely he does, right? Like he yeah. does. Um, and that's to be cultivated. 
and that's to be cultivated both in and out of the liturgy. And coming back around to why the Vigil Project exists, it's because I really do believe we need more resources to elevate and help flourish our devotional lives up and down that mountain. Because there's way, again, there's way more time on that journey than there is for most of us. The, the maximum is what, seven hours a week in liturgy? Yeah. Maybe a little more if you're going to Latin Mass. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know what I mean? Like if you're, you know, but yeah. like look at all those other hours that we're, that we're in life. Like are we, are we cultivating a spiritual life? Are we meeting the Lord in intimacy? Because if you are not and you're trying to cram that into the one hour of liturgy, I bet you are opinionated with what it looks like. Mm. Go off, queen. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. I think, um, yeah, that was, yeah, that was a lot of really good stuff. I think, uh, you know, one other thing I want to ask you about, because um, I don't even know what to say back to that, because that was just, that was really powerful. I'm sweating. Sorry. I'm <laughs> getting so fired up. So fired up. It was great. No, I love Sorry. it. That's my goal each time get with the guests. I just, just, yeah, so, just want like, to get you worked up But about you know something. what? Here's why I'm worked up, is because, again, the devil's so flipping clever. Yeah. He's so clever. He would love to pit us against each other. He would love to keep us away from from intimacy with the Lord. He would love to see the church more fra- in fraction. He would love that. Yeah. And it's like, for sure. I'm not going to swear, but in my head, I'm like, that's baloney. That's because I just feel like there's, <laughs> this we, is a swear friendly we, podcast. Is it really? Yeah, I, I wish I would have known that so. 40 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. I'm working on it. <laughs> We're Italian. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I think I just feel like calling those things out and saying, no, like this is worth talking about. This is worth with the fine tooth comb, like yeah. opening it up, even if it is a little ugly, ugly, even if people get passionate, even if people really don't understand the beauty of the Latin mass, they really, you know, don't understand actually what happened at Vatican II. They actually, or any other, uh, you know, meeting before then, you know, all these yeah. other councils. There like, was other ones? Yeah, I mean, just like church history in general. <laughs> Most people don't have a very good knowledge of church history. Yeah. Um, they don't know why we do the things that we do. And I think... Satan would love to keep those things in the dark. He would love for people just to be fighting and, and miss the communion, which is obviously where God meets us, you know? For sure. You know, another area that I think this is really important in, or that I've been like recently thinking about is I, my wife is the youth ministry specialist for the Archdiocese of Denver. Mm -hmm. And so I get a plethora of opportunity to volunteer and Ah. sometimes voluntold to help out with different youth events. Yeah. And I'm really intrigued. And one thing that I went to this one this past February, uh, it was like a massive like middle schooler conference. Mm -hmm. And one thing I, I don't love about a lot of these things, Steubenville's can kind of be like this too, um, is like everything is so, I don't know if just Protestant is the right word, but why, like again, like we're just basically like, there's like no beauty. Mm. And obviously, like, some Protestant songs are beautiful. I'm not, like, saying that, like, all Protestant music's ugly by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, everything you just mentioned with, like, the prisoners, mm-hmm. like, why do we feel like a 12-year-old can't have that same experience? Yeah. Like, why do they question. need a rocking loud, extremely loud, like, you know, rock and roll Christian band playing during a Eucharistic procession? Like, why is that the answer to that? In a, in a in a just like stadium or like a you know what I mean like we're in well, like this and I like think theater even, room and this is even like this topic is kissing up against just education in general because yeah. it's like why are we watering it down yeah why I can't mean, they do the 
you know, violin and piano. I was just, in a massive church. Well, I was just. Uh, That's beautiful. I, are you familiar with Hillsdale uh, College up in? Oh yeah, Michigan. Uh, they have some really really cool Hillsong. Hill, uh, Hillsong, yeah yeah yeah. It's a byproduct of Hillsdale. No, but Hillsdale. Hillsdale, uh, Hillsdale will be probably offended. <laughs> by that, so. I love I, I love Hillsdale and I love aspects of Hillsong. I will say that. Um, I do, um, but. Hillsdale uh, put out it's like a free course that you can take and it's all about the books you read your kids and the whole thing was if you are if the, if you're bored don't read it to your kid really? so the whole idea is like they can hand their intellect can actually handle it like go read them C.S. Yeah. Lewis go read so them so Green Eggs and Ham is a yes then Green Eggs and Ham well Dr. Seuss well again we're getting so controversial <laughs> well, with racist. this yeah, I, I, I was going to say I can't believe you even went there I know um, I'm, I'm embarrassed I'm so embarrassed <laughs> But I think sometimes we think, I mean, I think this way with ministry in general, sometimes in the States, I'm like, listen, you go to talk to, to young adults, like go talk to young adults. They can freaking handle it. They are young adults and 100%. they're going to be freaking devoured by the world, devoured by the world. They're, statistically, they're going to lose their faith. Shoot them straight. They can handle it. These guys are, they can handle it. Yeah. And I think kids can handle way more than we think we, they can. Yeah. Societally, it cracks me up when it's like, oh, the United States is like, you know, the United States is behind on so many things when it comes to education. It's not even funny. Yeah. Like you look at the, fr- you'll know it by its fruit. Scripture says, and it's like, I would agree with with you. Why don't we expose our kids to some of the classics? There was so much wisdom in that. We used to. We used to introduce people. Used yeah. to always. Do you know? That's why used- classical schools are coming back. Yes. Yeah. If if I had kids, they'd be. I would really, really fight for a classics education. Do you know it was at one point in time it was very normal for kids to play uh, instruments like from very young ages, complex instruments, violin, piano, and they did it well. Uh, reading the classics, knowing Greek and Latin. I'm not saying you know it's a bigger conversation because not everybody has access to those things, and I get that. But some people do have access to those things, and I think sometimes we don't like allow out of fear yeah. that they can't handle it. And I think a lot of times they actually can. Yeah. And it helps, it helps form them. For sure. We all underutilize our resources. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I think we have in common, but I think, uh, you know, I've tested the same theory out myself and I've only sparingly gotten to speak to younger youth groups, but I just did last, it was on Monday night. It mm-hmm. was just this past Monday. And I, I like, I watched like, so I was at the one I was just talking about in February mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the speakers and the talks were just like very, like there's just like this obligation to be funny mm. and silly and have memes on the screen and yeah. like all these. And it's not that that's bad, right? Like it can be great to kind of open up with. Totally. I don't enjoy doing that at all. I mean, you've spent a little bit of time with me. I, I just like. You went you up know? and you started swearing, didn't you? Look I at you, Nate. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm totally decent kidding. About that. I'm just joking. <laughs> on actual stages. Just joking. Um, except for at men's conferences. I usually do swear at those. But uh, <laughs> with the kids, I try not to. Yeah. But actually, like, but I, I, I'm just like, I got up there and I was just like, hey, you know, um, a lot of times when you guys get speakers, like they want to be, you know, come up here and jackass around and yeah. try to make you giggle. I'm not really here for that. <laughs> so let's just jump right into it. I love kind you. of serious. And it's just amazing to me how these like 11 year olds or 10 year olds or 12 year olds who often like can't pay attention. People are just like, yeah, their attention span is so hard to keep. Like we'll get locked in. Mm-hmm. And I think the main thing is that they can't sit through an hour long talk like that but 20 to 30 minutes mm-hmm. of serious and it doesn't mean that like I'm not saying that you have to be like all serious all the time mm-hmm. but I think they get a lot of value out of like hey you know one thing I almost always say to that that grade level is or age level is I'm like 
when when you're 10, 11, 12, 13, you don't want to be treated like a kid anymore. Mm-hmm. But in order to not be treated like a kid anymore, you have to stop acting like a kid. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and talk to you like you're mature. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're just like they want to behave, right? They want to stop screwing around with their neighbor and stop messing around because they're just like, oh, yeah, really? You know what I mean? Like it's well, amazing. and I think it comes back if I can just like Pope Benedict. I love, love, love so many quotes, but the one I, I, I just tr- one of my faves. The world offers you comfort, but you weren't made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Like. There is the capacity yeah. for greatness inside every single one of us. And I think when you, just like that moment with the, that group of kids, when you, when you respect, respect the capacity for greatness enough in someone else, which is really like acknowledging their dignity, when you, when you see that and you, and you act in such a way that you give them an opportunity to rise, sometimes that's actually the best thing we can do instead of coddle people and kind of enable Mm-hmm. Oh, it's fine. You know, that's too much for them. You know, it's, and, and sometimes we have to discern that it is too much for someone. And again, yeah, that's like definitely times. subjective. Yeah. But I think by and large as a society, um, yeah, we, we, there's capacity there for all of us to rise and to call the great. And that, that starts from a young age. Yeah. You see these extremes, I think. And it's amazing how sometimes these extremes exist in the same people where like in today's world, I think of like, um, you know, you, you see this rise in like teachers and schools and parents teaching their kids like sexual things mm-hmm. at oh very gosh. young ages, right? <laughs> yeah. Mostly from the left. But then I think you have a lot of times on the right, like sometimes homeschool families or like conservative families that just like want to protect them from all things yes. and not expose them to anything that's even, I don't know, dangerous or just like serious or, and we just create these like grown children, right? And yeah. I see, um, I see that in a lot of people. I've seen that in some of my friends and things like that. And it's really sad to see like what happens to them later in life but yeah finding that sweet spot of and, and we're not even talking about exposing them to hardship but we're just talking about like exposing them to beautiful things and understanding that like beauty is universal you know like we don't take them like you wouldn't take your kids to the grand canyon and be like oh you can't like handle the beauty over of this so let me just like let you play on your ipad in the car mm. you know but then we'll take them to <laughs> we have to totally have a rock concert adoration because we can't have beautiful music yeah you know Yep. It's something I'd really like to advocate for changing in the small like circles of influence that I do have and things like that to be like, why are we, and I, I've, I've read a lot about, it seems to be a theme in a couple of the last books that I've read that were faith focused of like youth ministry and just like the way we approach that. And there's mm-hmm. always like, even this lady I was debating with yesterday that told me she'd never been to the TLM. Like, uh, it's always just like, we have to engage it. How do we reach them? How do we engage them? It's just like, like we need to tell them the truth, mm-hmm. show them beautiful things and be good people that they want to emulate. And that's what I think is really the simplest thing to do. Yes. And I see, like, I mean, we have like these great new high schools and things like that in, um, in the classical schools in Denver mm-hmm. that are run by holy people that yeah. believe the faith, that expose them to beautiful things um, and teach them the truth. And they're practicing, they're engaged at mass, they're, eager to altar serve, you know what I mean? And get involved and do all these different things. They evangelize, they understand the faith. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not as complicated as we make it seem sometimes. And I think that Satan loves the extremes because virtue virtue is not too much, not too little. Like that's, that virtue is like the right amount. Yeah. And when you- So my two pieces of cake was probably too much And when you, never, no, 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 that's virtuous. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Nathan. (laughs) Again, I'm Italian. I'm going to be like, yeah, take the extra cake. was it the carrot cake at lunch? That yeah. was really, yeah, I had that too. It I only had so one though, good. some temperate, um, wow. <laughs> but no, but I, I look at like, I'm when you, you. We talk about this overexposure, 
because um, I'm with you. If you overexpose a child, yeah. for example, um, that's that's dangerous. Yeah. If you underexpose a child and you like shield them, then that's d- a different kind of dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember asking. It's like an immune system. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great analogy. Thank you. And I, I remember standing next to um, uh, Kimberly Hahn one time at a conference. And I had just, I had learned a lot about um, just Islam at that time. I had taken a class and I was, um, there was all the, a lot of talks about um, kind of like the extremism that can happen mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things. Um, and I actually was like in That's this. racist, but. S- no. Go on. <laughs> the extremists <laughs> that most Muslims would not identify with. Um, cause it was, anyway, thank you for clarifying. Yes. But there was, there was this fear in me. Like I was studying Sharia law. I was studying some of these things, um, in school and I, uh, as just as an elective. And there was a lot of fear in me in terms of like, uh, gosh, what would, what would martyrdom look like? Like it, it I was really like, it, it had me and I'm sure God really used it. Um, because I was learning so much about something that was so foreign to me. Um, and it happened to be that this other speaker was also talking about Islamic law and different things. Da, 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 da. I tell you that because I was standing next to Kimberly Hahn and I was in this, I think that really it was, there was a lot of fear welling up in me like, oh my goodness, like what, what, what is life going to look like? Like I, I was literally thinking about like my life, my children's lives, all these different things. If... God forbid something extreme were to happen or some act of terror or I was uh, pitted against, you know, like defending my faith in a moment like that. And I remember like in this fearful state that I was in in my young 20s, Kimberly Hahn was next to me. And I, I kind of just like asked her something about like kids and like, I'm like, do you ever, are you ever afraid of your, like your kids just like not having what it takes to like do life like I was just so afraid of like I was just in this fearful paralysis (laughs) and she was so peaceful and she smiled at me she's like you know what no because instead of me thinking about let's just say there's some horrible hard uh you know persecution that were to come she's like I can either choose to approach my children and the way how I raise them in fear or I can think to myself like maybe my kids are supposed to be part of the remedy. Maybe my kids are supposed to be part of the Christian strength. And I think like when we think about that, that can help us maybe discern, is this under or over exposure for my child? Is this, is this forming them into a young saint? Yeah, that, that's such a good point. And that reminds me of a story I've told many times and I won't tell the full story, but basically uh, one thing I think we've lost in our society um, I think the Vietnam War really did this to us. I think like post-World War II, we really haven't had it since, but just like the idea that like your kids can suffer and even die and it's valiant and honorable and Mm -hmm. like that shouldn't be a fate for them that you're ashamed of or that you feel was like lacking, Mm -hmm. right? Because we had like heroes back in like World War II and World War I and when people died, it doesn't mean that it wasn't painful. It doesn't mean that it wasn't difficult, but there was kind of like, and that, I mean, that went back for centuries. Like if you think of like, the Spartan culture and things like that, right? Like they were almost extreme and like, it's an honor to have your family member like die in battle, right? Like fighting for freedom, fighting for their country. And I think that now we've gotten so extreme in the other side. Like I, I've had so many conversations with um, 
uh, the, the stories basically goes from like moms who will tell me like, oh, don't talk to my son about how you enjoyed the army because I don't want my son going to do that. And it's like, why not? You know, like there's always just kind of this like, well, not my child. Like I have to protect my child from all things. It's like, well, who's going to do it? Mm. You know? Mm. And it's like the opposite of, it's like the exact opposite of what God the father did. Mm. <laughs> you know? And so yeah. to think like my child should be shielded and not have to be a part of the solution or not have to suffer. Or not, and it's like, that like the whole point of it is sainthood. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's sanctity and holiness mm-hmm. and persecution actually makes that easier. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the Christendom is when it's difficult <laughs> to be holier, honestly, right. you know, because you don't feel like you have to choose, but and you I do think, have to. I think it's really possible that our generation has lo- in large part, not all, but in large part we've lost. We've lost what many generations before us had, which was an understanding of what authentic sacrifice is. Right. Like self-sacrifice giving your life, working towards something, fighting for something, it is very likely you will never see the fruit of. Like, yeah. consider that. Like, that is so foreign to our age group. And, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah. because so many of our grandparents, our great-grandparents, they sacrificed. They, many of them immigrated, came over from another country, left everything that they knew and loved to give their family something else um, for generations to come that they would never meet, right? Um, there's an expression that's poor to poor in three generations. Um, and the concept is basically like, you, you know, a lot of times families that are poor, they start out poor, then they work really, really hard. They're motivated. They have kids. And then those kids, um, also end up with really, really decent work ethic because they were raised by people with really excellent work ethic. They had a little more than their parents had. And then they work really hard and that generation tends to be really successful. Mm -hmm. And then that really successful generation has their kids. And then their kids don't have as much of a concept of what it looks like to earn something because they were given way more from their parents circumstantially. And then because of that lack of work ethic, because that lack of understanding of what authentic sacrifice looks like, when they have kids, gener- that next generation like truly doesn't understand what happened three generations before. And so it goes poor to poor in three generations. It's a fascinating concept. It is. But I say that on like kind of a parallel level of what you're talking about in terms of like the, maybe that not, not in a financial way, but like I think that sometimes we're, we're very kind of weak and poor intellectually yeah. in our hearts. It's kind of like, like the, the strong men make good times, that kind of that exactly. quote. Yeah. And I Absolutely. think that's worth fighting for. I mean, that's not to say that our generation's lost. I don't believe that at all. Yeah. At all. I do. We have more resources at our fingertips than any generation before us. So yeah. it's like it's we such have BS everything sometimes. we could use, everything w- we could need, I mean. I was watching, there's like the that reel that's going around. It's kind of viral right now where uh, it's like one of the sounds where somebody's just like, millennials, like, how does it feel that you lost the game? And I'm just like, what the F does that even mean? Like, yeah, that's there can be so much negativity around yeah. like our lives and our generation. I'm just like, what? In, like, <laughs> people are just so negative, just like mm. love complaining. That's a whole nother podcast, but yes, but they, I think the call is to be the light, you know, because you yeah. know what, when you meet somebody that's like fully alive in who they are, are you not just so fully, like so inspired just to like be better? Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And person by person, like that really does change communities. That changes society. Yeah. It really does. That's why this week has been so great. That's exactly. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hey, well, this was great. Thank you so much for your time. Oh my gosh. It was so fun to get to talk with you. Thank and you for what you do. This podcast is like truly, uh, this is so good. It's so good. And I'm so inspired too, even being out here and seeing, you know, everything we're talking about with the world, all these different things. Absolutely. There's a lot of things out there that are dark and yeah. hard. 
there's also a lot of beautiful things happening in the world and in the church. They yeah. have, they, we have a reason to be hopeful. Absolutely. We really do. I want to close with, with that. I want to close with this story. I just had lunch with a priest that's here from the Diocese of Vienna in Austria. Mm. And he told us that of out of the country, I don't remember how what the denominator is, but 8% of Catholics in the country go to Mass two times or more a month. And under the age of 35, that number is 1%. Mm. And I was just talking to, there was two others sitting there at a table with us. And I was like, this is what I mean. And I try to tell people this and I don't tell people it enough, but like, it's low key on fire here in the U S Yeah, like not compared to maybe what it once was, but what's beautiful of like kind of the shrinking down is you come to things like this and you get to see, and even like, if you go to like the strong parishes, like I love St. Cecilia's in Cincinnati. Yeah. I love our lady of Lords in Denver. Like you go there and like people are on fire with their faith. Yeah. And I'm like, you can go, I talk to Newman centers across the country now uh, for hallow. And I'm like, and they'll, they're telling me they have 300, even the small ones, 150 coming to mass on the weekends at, you know, and then you talk to like these bigger ones that have a thousand to three thousand at University of Iowa, at public schools, you know. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like one percent of people under the age of thirty-five, you know. And then we have like colleges, like public universities that have twenty percent of their Catholics at on campus coming to mass, and then we're like livid. And it's still great. Obviously, we want to have like this fire under us to keep it going. Mm. But I truly believe that it's possible that like when it comes to like similar to like a recession, right? Or, you know, if you follow like stocks or things like that, like there's like a, you find the bottom. Like, I think that it's very possible that we're still pretty low, but I think that we might've found the bottom and that we're actually heading in a trajectory up. I like to talk in food. It's like a reduction sauce. Like the, what, what, what is there is so potent. It's like, like the talking you, do you know what I mean though? Like it's, it's, it is, it's like, it's so That's strong. Funny. It's yeah. so strong. The littlest bit goes the furthest way yeah. because you let that, you know, so even though the volume is less, it's potent. Yeah. And I would, I could not agree more with what you just said. And now we've got beautiful music in the Catholic church. <laughs> You're so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a gift. Praise the Lord. So people uh, can now check out if they haven't before the mm -hmm. visual project. Yes. When and where will the documentary be coming out? The documentary is coming out spring of 23. Um, please pray for us. We're close to wrapping filming um, and then we'll go into post-production. Yeah. I, to my knowledge, nothing this comprehensive has been done in our generation for music in the church and the life mm -hmm. of faith. So we're really hoping it's a gift to the church. So late 23, you can look out for that. And where will that be? Um, we don't actually know yet the, oh, okay. the platform. Sure. Um, that's kind of the next major thing that we need to, yeah. to discuss. Makes um, sense. But if you follow any of the things that we do on our social platforms, which I do found there amazing <laughs> you know we did the mutual follow last night like that's okay right. cool cool you're normal okay i'll follow you <laughs> <I love it. laughs> semi-normal that's a bit yeah semi-normal that yeah. yeah i think normal would be an exaggeration yeah, yeah that would be inappropriate um <laughs> i love it well thank you so much again this was great getting to talk with you and i hope that uh people will go and check it out i think it's a wonderful wonderful thing you guys are doing i love the music and uh, I think it's very needed in the church. I think we've for a long time had to push into a lot of Protestant music because we just yeah. didn't have it. So yeah. shout out to you. Thank you, man. Thank you for what you do. It's important work. You seriously have my prayers and you have a new fan girl in me. So <laughs> I love it. I'm here for it. Awesome. <laughs>